Hello, and welcome back to History for Today. Today I'm going to talk about, I'm going to begin talking about the Ranny Letters, which is a series of five dozen letters written by eight brothers. I mistakenly said uh, that Henry Ranny had uh, half a dozen brothers in my history in seven, but actually he had seven brothers. Uh, so these eight brothers write letters to each other over the course of the entire 19th century, from the 1830s until the end of the century. As they're spreading out across the United States, they are providing an unfiltered record of their activities and their interests and their concerns from the 1830s until the end of the century. So that is the project. It is going to take a while, but here we go. This is the beginning. So. On the cover, I've used an 1857 oil painting called Waiting for the Ferry, uh, which is actually painted by a guy by the name of William Tiley Ranny. Uh, although he's not a member of the immediate family that is the subject of this book, Ranny was a distant cousin. He was born in Middletown, Connecticut in 1813, and he was a contemporary of the Ranny brothers of Ashfield, whose grandparents had migrated to Ashfield from Middletown. Uh, in a career that lasted until his death in uh, late 1857, so this is one of his latest final works, uh, Randy completed about 150 paintings, most of them dealing with Western or pioneer themes. Uh, I also want to say before I really begin that I am extremely grateful to the people of the Ashfield Historical Society who have been exceptionally generous with me for more than a decade, allowing me to visit several times and giving me access whenever I really wanted it to their archives. Uh, Grace LaSure and Nancy Garvin have welcomed me, have answered my questions, uh, and have been interested in whatever I was searching for in their files, whether it was information on the Ashfield essence peddlers and the peppermint business that I used in my dissertation and my book, uh, or my fascination with Ashfield's infidel doctor, Charles Knowlton, or the Rannies. Um, Actually, Nancy even gave me a uh, cutting. Uh, she let me dig up a piece of the peppermint that still grows wild in, wild in her yard in Ashfield. Um, history at its heart is the story of people and the glimpses into the lives of people that are afforded to us by items like these Ranny letters are some of the best opportunities that we get to connect the broad brushstrokes of 19th century history uh, with the experiences of the people who actually lived it. The interest and the care uh, taken by people like Grace and Nancy preserving this stuff ensures that these items will be available when curious historians drop by with questions one day. Uh, and they continue an important tradition. Uh, Nancy and Grace and the other people at the Ashfield Historical Society continue an important tradition of making their region's history available to the public both in person and now on the internet. So as I've said, the Randy letters are a series of letters written by the brothers of a single family, all born in Ashfield, Massachusetts in the early years of the 19th century. This branch of the Randy family moved to Phelps in Western New York in 1833, leaving one 16-year-old son behind in Ashfield. Henry Sears Ranny spent most of the rest of his life living in Ashfield, and he died there. Uh, he left behind letters that he had received from all of his brothers as they continued to spread westward. 
The Ranny brothers uh, stayed in close contact with each other for over 60 years, and their letters are a window into the lives and the concerns of rural people in the 19th century. So who were the Rannies? What can we find out about them to set the scene for these letters? Well, looking for information from a family like the Rannies in 19th century America, we do have a pretty wide variety of sources available to us. Uh, luckily, Americans seem to have valued genealogical information from very early in our history. The list of birth dates that Lewis provides for Henry in the first letter that I will read you today is an indication of this. And this impulse was not limited only to Mayflower descendants, which the Rannies were not. Uh, between the middle and the end of the 19th century, people started actually publishing books tracing the genealogies of families like the Rannies. According to the Ranny book, which is called Founders, Fathers, and Patriots of Middletown Upper Houses, published in 1903, um, which you can find on the Internet Archive, uh, the family in America originates with a Scottish immigrant named Thomas Ranny who was born in 1616 and settled Middletown, Connecticut in the mid-1650s. Although no one knows precisely why Thomas left his native Scotland, the Scots had been defeated by Cromwell's parliamentary forces at Dunbar in 1650, leading to the unification of England and Scotland in 1653. It's possible that Ranny, like many of his countrymen, chose to emigrate as a result of the events or the social changes that they caused. The book on Middletown's early history, which is Charles Collard Adams's Middletown Upper Houses, a history of the North Society of Middletown, Connecticut from 1650 to 1800 with genealogical and biographical chapters on the early families and a full genealogy of the Ranny family, published in 1908. Um, this book agrees with the Ranny book that I mentioned before, which is not unusual since Many of these early sources borrowed freely from each other without attribution. Um, and it elaborates. Thomas Ranny became a landowner in Middletown in 1658. He married the 17-year-old Mary Hubbard, a daughter of another founding Middletown family in 1659. And by 1670, Thomas was paying 105 pounds in taxes, placing him ninth on a list of the 52 town proprietors. Thomas was not a member of a church, which is interesting because most of his descendants would be similarly irreligious. Uh, he died at 97 in 1713, uh, the last surviving early settler of Middletown. Uh, in his will, Thomas gave grants of land to each of his 10 surviving children. And in addition to his homestead, which was valued at 110 pounds, Thomas's estate included nearly 400 acres of land that was valued at 757 pounds. So Thomas Ranney died a fairly wealthy man. Thomas Ranney's great-great-grandson, George Ranney III, was born in Middletown in 1746. By this time, Middletown had become the largest port city between Boston and New York City, uh, with more international shipping than either Hartford or New Haven. The oldest son of a main branch and what was already a large and complicated family tree, George entered what was called euphemistically the West India trade as a young man. The trade which flourished in the 
1750s until the Revolutionary War uh, is sort of evasively described by local historians as, quote, carrying out mules, horses, and hays, and bringing back rum, rum, sugar, molasses, and fine woods, end quote. Although uh, Middletown had a larger slave population than any other Connecticut city, uh, peaking at 218 in 1756, according to most accounts. It's unclear whether the young Ranny was involved in this aspect of the West India trade, or uh, actually even whether he went to sea at all. But since the money that islands like Barbados used to buy New England livestock, food, and fodder was derived from income on sugar produced by slaves and sold into the British market, there isn't much point splitting hairs. Middletown's West India economy was part of the British colonial system and of the slave-based sugar economy. What's known about George Ranney is that he married Esther Hall, the daughter of Captain Samuel Hall, in January 1771. George was 25, his wife was 20. Captain Hall was not a ship's master, but rather a member of another Middletown founding family, a deacon and a captain in the militia. The Ranny and Hall families had a long history of intermarriage, and George's younger brother, uh, Francis, married Esther's younger sister, Rachel, two years later. George and Esther's first child, named Samuel Hall after his grandfather, was born in March 1772. George and Esther Ranny moved their family to Ashfield, Massachusetts in 1780. In addition to young Samuel, who was eight years old at the time of the move, uh, the family included Jesse, age five, and Joseph, three. Uh, George IV, called George Jr. in Ashfield Records, and born in May of 1780, may have been the first Ranny born in Ashfield. George III, his father's younger brothers, Francis and Thomas, moved to Ashfield in 1786 and 1792, leaving uh, their much younger brother, Jonathan, who had been born in 1765, to care for their aging parents and to inherit the family homestead in Middletown. And this was traditional in colonial families. The youngest son usually inherited because he would be around to take care of the parents. Uh, by the early 1800s, there were many Ranny cousins in the Ashfield neighborhood, including the prominent merchant and selectman, Captain Roswell Ranny and his large family. George Ranny bought a hundred acre farm, quote-unquote, from Lamberton Allen, uh, and he built a log house. Several Ashfield histories suggest that Allen's so-called farm was really an uncleared tract of forest, uh, and this suspicion is strengthened by the fact that George Ranney built a log house rather than moving into an existing structure. George and Esther's sons grew into adulthood in Ashfield in the years uh, between the Revolution and the War of 1812. When the Rannies arrived in 1780, Ashfield was a tiny upcountry village that had um, already attracted attention beyond its borders for its Yankee independence. In the 1760s, the town's new congregational church had taken the land of Baptist residents who had refused to pay the church's tax because they said their church had been there first. The Baptists protested to the colonial legislature in Boston, but the Congregationalists, led by Harvard-educated Israel Williams, refused to give back the 400 acres taken from the Baptists, uh, and they got the government to back them up. 
the Baptists appealed to London. And in 1769, King George III's Privy Council gave them back their land. So when Boston patriots like Samuel Adams established committees of correspondence and sent out their revolutionary call just a few years later, many Ashfielders called them hypocrites. They were calling themselves the sons of liberty and were erecting their liberty poles about the country, said Baptist leader Ebenezer Smith. But they did not deserve the name, for it was evident that all they wanted was liberty from oppression, that they might have the liberty to oppress. Lamberton Allen, as I said, who sold his land to George Ranney, moved north to Vermont, where his cousins Ethan and Ira Allen were local heroes. He settled on Grand Island in Lake Champlain between Vermont and Canada, um, helping to found a township called Middle Hero. At this time, Vermont was a wild frontier area between New York, New Hampshire, and Canada. The Allens and their Green Mountain Boys resisted the territorial claims of their neighbors, New Hampshire and New York on both sides, and played each of them off against each other until 1791, when Vermont finally joined the Union as its 14th state. Samuel Allen remained in Ashfield a while longer than his brother Lamberton, according to um, U.S. Census data. Although he had been a lieutenant in the Revolutionary War, Samuel opposed the local and Bostonian aristocrats, who he believed had betrayed the spirit of the Revolution as a people's independence movement. Samuel led a company of men during Shays' Rebellion, and then he refused to sign the loyalty oath required by Massachusetts authorities when the rebellion failed. Although this refusal made him unable to hold any public office um, due to his continuing quote-unquote rebel status, Samuel stayed in Ashfield through the 1790s before also moving to Grand Island. Uh, he was remembered by Ashfielders as Barefoot Allen for one of his many eccentric habits. The Ranny sons were remembered for helping their father, George, turn his homestead into one of the best farms on the Ashfield Plain. Samuel, the oldest, had been eight years old when the family arrived in Massachusetts. Samuel settled on a parcel just south of his father's, and in 1821, he built a two-story brick and wood house that still stands beside Route 116, south of the town center. Um, second son, Jesse, settled on land north of his father's farm, uh, which he later sold to his brother, Joseph, when he bought a larger farm in Ashfield. Jesse raised his family in Ashfield and died at his home in 1861, aged 86. Joseph lived in Ashfield until 1838, when he was killed by a falling tree in his woodlot. And the youngest son, George Ranney IV, called George Jr. in Ashfield, was born in Ashfield, as I said, in 18, I'm sorry, 1789. Uh, so George Ranney Jr. inherited the family homestead when his father, George, died at age 75 in 1822. And as I already mentioned, this was traditional in early America because older sons generally started their own farms or businesses well before the parents were ready to hand over their assets. And the youngest would be more available to take care of his parents in their old age. George lived another 11 years there and um, then became the first brother to leave Ashfield, migrating to Phelps, which was then called Vienna, in western New York in 1833, 
when he was 44 years old. He took his entire family, his wife, Axa, Sears, Ranny, and eight out of their nine children to their new home, 260 miles west of Ashfield, leaving behind only his third son, 16-year-old Henry Sears Ranny. The series of letters kept by Henry Ranny begins with a three-page letter dated May 19, 1839, uh, from 24-year-old Louis George Ranny. Uh, he was born George Lewis, but there are so many Georges in the Ranny family in every generation um, since the 1650s, including his father and his grandfather, that he switched from G.L. Ranny to L.G. Ranny, and his brothers called him Lewis. Uh, so Lewis begins with the most important news. Our folks are well as usual. Their parents, George Ranny Jr. and Axa Sears Ranny, had moved most of the family to Phelps, New York uh, in 1833. Henry, who had been 16 at the time, had stayed behind in Ashfield. Uh, in early 1838, George Ranny had bought 105 acres in Phelps for $5,000, a year later, he bought another 100 acres for $2,800. Um, the eldest son, Alonzo Franklin Ranny, had a two-acre house lot in town worth 500 And Lewis was living at home at this time in 1839 when he wrote to Henry. But he had already decided by this time that he was on his way to Michigan. The contents of the letter reveal the topics that most, most interested Lewis, uh, that he knew his brother would want to hear about. First, news about both the immediate and the extended family. Lewis remarks about their cousins, Samuel Ranny's sons. He says, Dexter's yet in Michigan, I suppose. William is building a new house in the West Village. Frederick is about here as usual. Samuel Ranny had died in 1837. Um, in response to uh, Henry's letter, Lewis lists the birth dates of all the siblings. Uh, Axa Sears Ranny had, had 11 children in a 21-year period between ages 23 and 44. Uh, and then she had lived to 80. Nine of the children were still alive in 1839. Lewis goes on to mention a couple more Ashfield acquaintances, and then he tells Henry, Henry that um, their father wants him to send money. Funds will be tight in Phelps until the harvest, uh, which is several months away, Lewis says, and George Jr., Jr. has none yet from Michigan. This is a very interesting point because it shows that the family is not only in contact over half a continent, but is financially connected as well. Money and information, and as we'll see later, merchandise, uh, flows in both direction between family members all over North America. Uh, we're mistaken if we assume that when people move west, they cut ties with family and go out on their own. So here is my transcription of the letter. Phelps, May 19th. Respected brother, I take this the present opportunity of informing you that our folks are well as usual. I am working at home this season. I have a couple of acres of peppermint planted, etc. We have planted this season about six acres of mint, nine acres corn, six acres spring wheat, potatoes, oats, sufficient, etc. As to stock, they have five cows, four yearlings, and four calves. And in the horse line, Lucius thinks he has a good team. 
they have swapped the old big sorrel and a mare they had for a pair of dun-colored horses equally matched. As heavy as the old Mike horse, which makes a loud team, they being smart, and Bill the horse is yet on hand. They calculate to summer fallow about 18 or 20 acres. There has been a very good spring so far for crops, and there are prospects now for considerable fruit. Our people are going into the poultry line considerable this season. 40 or 50 chickens already and a quantity of eggs yet to hatch. 11 young turkeys and two turkeys yet to hatch, etc., etc. Our folks have taken a girl about 10 years old, which they like very well. I believe which makes quite a help to the woman affairs. Dexter is yet in Michigan. I suppose William is a building a new house in the West Village. Frederick is about here as usual. Frank is about pecks yet. Now news, etc. You requested us to send the names, births, etc. of the children. I will write them viz. Alonzo F. Ranny, born September 13, 1812. Louis G. Ranny, born March 10, 1815. Henry S. Ranny, born March 5, 1817. Lucius Ranny, born April 12, 1819. Priscilla M. Ranny, ditto, January 19, 1822. Harrison Ranny, born March 4, 1824. Lyman A. Ranny, born August 1, 1828. Lemuel S. Ranny, born January 17, 1831. Anson B. Ranny, ditto, May 31, 1833. Mother says she calculates to send you two or three pairs of socks. James King is about Vienna making pumps. James Flower was married a few weeks ago. Father wishes you to send him 50 or or $100 if you can, as he has had none from Michigan, and having some to make out, he requests, etc. Money is very scarce here now, probably will be till after harvest. They thought if you could spare it till fall, it would accommodate very much. Then they want to square up the horse and the stock line and other small debts. Write again soon and send if you send, etc. Yours truly, L.G. Ranny. So that is the first letter of the collection. I'll read at least one of these a week. The next one will be from May 15th, 1842. It will also be from Michigan. This time it will be from a 23-year-old in 1842, Lucius, who's writing to his older brother, Henry. So I hope that was interesting. Thanks for listening. I'll see you again next time.